0: Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could join us today. We've talked a lot over the past year about the great resignation when many people left their old jobs for better opportunities. On the way out, many of those folks may have taken part in exit interviews. But have you heard about stay interviews? These are conversations initiated by bosses to talk about how much they value their workers and to find out what would make their jobs even better? What will it take to make sure you stay? I have a guest joining me in a few minutes to discuss worker retention and the moves some managers are making to improve it. And we want to hear from you too. The phone lines will be open. Have you thought about leaving your job but chose to stay? Why? And if you're an employer or a manager, what are you doing to keep your valued employees happy? Call us at 651-227-6000. You can call us right now, 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Leave me a message on Twitter. I'm at Angela Davis MPR. But first, let's check in with Chris Farrell for an update on the latest economic news. He's our senior economics contributor who joins us every Monday. And Chris, what is happening this week? What's big?
1: (laughs) Oh, what's big? Well, The job number came in, and it was bigger than expected. You had it revised up in October. Unemployment rates stayed the same at 3.7%. Wage gains came in higher than expected. You know, this economy, when it comes to the job market, they're like the Minnesota Vikings. They're unbelievably resilient. And um most sectors when you go through the job report and and this is all the numbers for November, uh most sectors were strong. Construction uh hiring was up. Manufacturing hiring is up, but the gains remain mainly in leisure, hospitality, healthcare and government. And that leisure hospitality sector, it's the one sector, the big sector that's still below the pre-pandemic levels, about 5.8% below, almost 6% below. But nonetheless, we are seeing, you know, continued hiring in those in-person businesses, those Mm in-person industries that have been so hit so hard during the pandemic. What about cutbacks? Anything there? Well, you did see a few cutbacks. They were in retail, transportation, warehousing. um, And, you know, the one that was interesting was a cutback in staff for temporary help services. Now, historically, people watch temporary help really carefully, the hiring there, because when the economy is strong, mm-hmm. you'll see a big increase in temporary help. And when the economy is weakening or employers are getting nervous about the economy, those are the, the people that they stop hiring. Those are the ones they let go first, as opposed to their full-time employees.
0: And you mentioned that wages were better than expected.
1: Well, this is the number. This is what, uh, if, if, if you're reading the economic news over the week weekend like I do. I mean, (laughs) do I know how to have fun? I really do. Uh, That's all everyone was talking about was the wage growth. Now, I just want to emphasize something. Getting paid more is a good thing, right? I mean, it is a good thing. And um, what is really important to take a step back is that the wage gains are big, among lower-paid workers, I mean, um, the hour, average hourly wage for production, non-supervisory workers in hotels and restaurants up seven point four percent over the last year. Good. So, um, some other numbers. I just want to highlight unemployment rate for workers with a high school degrees is now four point four percent. That's a record. The unemployment rate for blacks, Asians, Latinos, essentially unchanged. Mm-hmm.
0: And the labor market, um, it, it, you know, does it look like? One that's about to to tip into a recession or what do you see or how does the Fed see this?
1: Well, I think so. This this economy does not look like it's tipping into a recession. It's not even near a, a recession. But as far as the Fed is concerned, the economy is too strong. This November report really said to the Fed, look, um, inflation is still stubbornly high. Yes, there are these signs of, of weakening. Price of gasoline is down. Price of rents are down. Um, you know, price of shipping uh, is down. And, of course, if you're a worker – you're wondering what are these economists talking about when they're saying we're getting too high a wage increases? I, I I'm not getting that big a wage right. increase. Still struggling, I mean, seriously. Right. But the measures of inflation remain stubbornly high, and so to get into the the one, the personal consumption expenditures, and this is um, an alternative to the consumer price index that we all know about. Talk about Fed Chairman Jerome Powell says you know he really likes following uh, personal consumption expenditures. It's weakening, but it's still around a 5% level. And therefore, you know, the odds are the Fed is just going to stay the course.
0: And there's an additional twist to the inflation story. It has to do with
1: energy prices. Yes. So, uh, you know... (laughs) We're looking at it. Energy prices are down. By the way, you know, we talked a lot about when the price of gasoline was going out. I don't know if you refilled this weekend, but the price of gasoline is down, uh, and it has been moving down. But now price of oil is up today because, um, uh, the European Union, it imposed an embargo on sea carried Russian crude oil starting today and then uh, over the weekend the group of seven nations major industrial nations they imposed a $60 price cap on Russian crude so this move could push Russia to really uh, cut off oil exports to some of its former trading partners in Europe that's what it's threatened to do the threat's been made we don't OPEC is sort of standing back and saying we're not going to do anything right now so really what it adds anybody making a forecast Mm -hmm. you know It's, it's, you're, you're guessing because it's a fluid situation. It's a really Uh. fluid situation, but the uncertainty is there.
0: And so, any predictions about what the next move might be by the by the Fed?
1: So the Fed meets next week, and the consensus expectation, the Fed will raise uh, the Fed funds rate, which is a benchmark interest rate, by half a percentage point. It's been doing these three-quarters of a percentage point increases. There's a minority conversation that says, hey, you know, they might actually look at this November report and say we might have to do another three-quarters of a percentage point. I doubt it, but the Fed is going to stay the course. Neil Kashkari, the head of the Federal Reserve Bank of of, of Minneapolis. You know, last week in an interview, he said, look, until we see clear signs that inflation has peaked, you know, we're going to keep raising rates and we're going to uh, continue this monetary tightening. And there are not clear signs that inflation... Is over.
0: And the previous two weeks, we've talked about the uh, threat of the national railroad strike. Um, no longer threats. It's not going to happen now, right? It's
1: not going to happen. Congress imposed, uh, a labor agreement on w- rail workers. And of course, that wouldn't be going, you know, back to the history books. Now, how can Congress do this? And it's from a 1926 law when, um, you know, the railroads were so critical to the United States economy. And uh, the railroads was the most unionized industry at that time, too. And so Congress can impose an agreement, uh, and then you can't strike. So th- there can't be any strike. And it's a five-year agreement. Workers will get a 24% increase in wages. That runs from 2020 through 2024. Railroad workers get one additional paid date off, but it didn't deal with any of the underlying issues about um, you know, paid sick leave and some of those other they work-place more days, issues. Right? And they wanted more days. And what the industry has realized is one, they just cut way too much their workforce and uh customers are anxious. Not just workers who are upset. The customers are upset because they're not getting people on the on the phone or on the computer to deal with their problems. Mm-hmm. So I would expect that the industry is going to start hiring more seriously.
0: All right. Uh, that is Chris Farrell, NPR's Senior Economics Contributor, who joins us each Monday morning. Chris, as we move into a very specific topic for the rest of the hour, I want you to stay with us. Okay. But, but first this. You know that feeling when someone you care about asks you to stay? Well, what if that person was your boss at work, expressing their appreciation for the quality of the work you do? Wouldn't that be something? Get this. Some employers are now not only conducting exit interviews as workers hit the door for better opportunities. Some managers are also scheduling stay interviews. These are conversations focused on worker retention and finding out what people say they need to be happier, more creative or more productive at work? What can the company do to make you want to stay? Let's talk about this. I have a second guest joining us now to tell us more about what is happening to improve worker retention right now. And as we talk about it, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your stories. Call us. Have you thought about leaving your job? What would make your job more enjoyable? And if you're thinking about quitting and looking for a new job in the new year what would make you want to stay you can call us at 6512276000 again the number is 651 651- 227-6000. You can also call 800 242 2828. You can tweet me at Angela Davis, MPR. In the studio with uh, Chris and I, I have Mary Zelmer Brun. Mary is the chair of the work and organizations department at the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Management. She teaches classes about the management of teams, organizational behavior, and cross cultural management. Hi, Mary. Hello. I'm imagining some people are listening to, like, what? Bosses want to talk to you about like what would make you happy. Does this happen, <laughs> really?
2: <laughs> yeah, it it does, and it should happen more. Uh, I would say that prior to kind of today's pressures of retention and turnover, about twenty five percent of companies seem to really engage in this idea of a state interview. And it's been around for a while, I think, at least for 10 years. So it's not like it's a new idea, but it wasn't really used very commonly. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it varies, too, across
0: industries. But, you know, uh, let's talk about some of the reasons that many people left their jobs. You know, we arrived at this term, the great resignation, for a reason. What is known about the reasons that people choose to stay at their jobs? What do they talk about?
2: Well, I think... There's a few things. We heard from Chris already that wages have been increasing. So people do leave because they're looking for better compensation. So one way to think about that is the reverse, which is that they might stay if they feel like they're being fairly compensated. <clears throat> so but, that's certainly one yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. But it's really only the if you think about the floor. And people want something more than that. They're usually not staying at their job because of pay. They might leave because of pay, but other factors are going to keep them there. Yeah. So it's not all about money, but like, so what makes
0: someone like really value the work that they do? I, I take myself as an example. It's like I value the mission. I enjoy my colleagues. You know, I feel like I'm making an impact. So it's not always about money that would,
2: that, you know, not a raise that would make someone stay. Absolutely. So some of the things that really matter, it, it especially in today's Workplace are flexibility. So coming off of the pandemic, this has really become a key feature about what people are looking for. If they have a role that can have some level of hybrid or remote work, most people want flexibility. Mm-hmm. And that's become a very, very high reason people may stay or leave. Beyond that, the work itself, absolutely. Uh, We know that people want work that has some meaning to themselves, that they feel a sense of purpose. So just what you said about the mission, Mm -hmm. does this make me feel like I'm contributing? How do I understand what my purpose is here? People also really want some level of autonomy. They want to have some feeling that they have control over how they work, mm-hmm. what, what they're working on at any given time. And finally, I would say people really want to see that there's opportunity for growth. But it, that may not always be a promotion, but am I learning new things? Am I, you know, kind of building on my skill set here? Those are also really important reasons people stay. Mm-hmm. And- reasons people leave, right? Like
0: opportunity to grow, like wanting to feel challenged. And I uh, you know that also for me, for personal experience, you know, just because I'm in my 50s doesn't mean I can't learn some new things, right, Chris? Right? Uh, you know, Chris, uh, over the last two years, we've talked uh, a lot about the, the labor market trends uh, during the pandemic, uh, the great resignation, the big quit, uh, quiet quit, and everything's got a, a term. Uh, now we're talking about the big stay. <laughs> I call it the big stay. Uh, so, you know, what are you hearing? Uh, are are employees you know, what are they doing now? Or why do, are they seeing that they've got to do something, take action to get employees to stay?
1: Well, you know, Angela, if you go over to, I don't know, the past 20, 30 years of Harvard Business Review, you know, every year, there'll be article after article about the high cost of employee turnover. Because when an employee mm-hmm. leaves, it's not just the cost the employee leaves, but then you have to search for a new employee. And then you have to train the new employee. And then the employee has their own learning curve. So it's always been, and yet, time and money, right? time and money. And yet, It's as if it didn't matter because there was a line of people out the door. We could keep our wages down. Okay, people leave. And our valued employees, they're not going to leave because the job market is not that good. Well, now we're in this tight labor market. And by the way, your valued employees, they're they're going, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I, I think I can get a better job. I can get a better opportunity. And then you find out other employees are leaving and you can't hire to replace them. And so all of a sudden, management for the first time in like 20, 30 years is confronting a very different situation. How do we actually do what we say we do? How do we actually say that our employees are our most valuable asset? Well, what does that actually mean? And I think it is changes in the economy that are forcing management to change their behavior.
0: And as we talk about management, you know, money, benefits, big part of the the issue. But in many cases, uh, people want good management. They want good bosses. There's a huge value in that.
1: Yeah. Remember, was it earlier in the year you did the show on bad bosses? Mm -hmm. And we got a lot of calls and the damage that a bad boss does to a good worker. For years sometimes. For years. Mm -hmm. And – I think, actually, we had a system. I mean, there's always you know good companies and and industries that are slightly different. But basically, it was, again, it was a system that tolerated the bad boss because you just go out and hire some more new people. I think now the cost of a bad boss, people are all of a sudden, senior management is looking at it. This is real. We can't afford this anymore because if this boss is driving people away, who are we going to replace them with?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and Mary, what would you add uh, to this thought about the cost of a bad boss and addressing that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's some things that also come along with this, which is <clears throat> if we have turnover, the people who are left in the organization often have to pick up extra work to cover until you can hire. And that process is taking longer because of the tightness of the labor market. So it just continues to contribute to a spiral of burnout in organizations, mm-hmm. because if you are understaffed and chasing and trying to hire and onboard people, that's that's a really big, significant added burden to the people who stay. I think the point about bosses is absolutely right. And uh, something I love to tell my students is that I love that you're here at the Carlson School learning from us because really we don't require any licensing for people to be managers of people. And as a result, there's a lot of people who are bosses who've had no training and no real understanding of how to work with people, how to effectively lead them, how to effectively recognize them, help them see their opportunities for growth. So I think organizations also need to be investing in Management training really making sure those those supervisors are effective.
0: And any indi- indication we're seeing that um, more companies embracing um, the, the time and and the the money to 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 train leaders so that you don't lose people.
2: I that's really a little bit beyond my area, but I think that we hopefully will see more of that. I mm-hmm. do think that we've historically seen that organizations will support. Continuing education that sort of fell away after the previous financial crisis. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll, it'll be an interesting indicator to see if we get back to that, where organizations are starting to invest more in in that training and development of their leaders. And Chris, have you seen any indication that there is more time
0: and
1: money going into to leadership training? I think that there's been a almost a cultural sea shift. Sea shift is that right? That's, that's sure. A right. Okay, I, a shift. A shift. <laughs> in, um, In employee expectations about work, you know, the image of work used to be dominated by Smokestack America, the manufacturing, and you'd go to work, you do your manufacturing, and then you would do all this creative stuff at home. And more and more people want to exercise their creativity, what Mary said, their autonomy, they want to learn, they want to grow in the workplace itself. And so I think this is feeding into if – Uh, You're going through this situation and you're at work and you're confident you can get another job. You know, if I'm not learning, I'm out of here. And I think that's – it's not a new conversation, but I think it's a much broader conversation in the overall workplace that more and more people want to get something from work as opposed to work is the paycheck, and then when I go home, that's when I do all the wonderful stuff. That's when I do my creativity. That's when I do what really matters. And people really do want to say work reflects my purpose. Work reflects what I think how I'm going to make a difference in this world.
0: If you're just joining us, we're talking about worker retention and what makes people stay in a job rather than leave for new opportunities. Have you thought about leaving your job, but you chose to stay? Tell us why. And if you're an employer or manager, what are you doing to keep your valued employees happy? The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651 Two two seven six thousand. 6000. You can also call 800 242 2828. Tweet me at Angela Davis, MPR. Mary, I loved hearing Rihanna sing. Stay. I, it just spoke to my heart. And I'm just imagining this. And but again, stay interviews, it's not something that is imagined, it's happening. Can you tell us, give us a description of what these conversations might look like? Um, you know, if, if you value Chris, and you're like, Chris, like, you know, let's check in, how you doing? What, what's the conversation like in, in, in the situation where someone wants to communicate, you are valued, and we want to know uh, what would make your uh, day better and
2: make you more excited about being an
0: employee here?
2: Sure. So these this meeting, if you will, mm-hmm. with your employees can take on a lot of different forms. But I do think, first and foremost, is to reflect that recognition that you have. So really feed back to your employees what you see and what you're really valuing and what they're doing for the organization. Another part of it is really to ask Quite honestly, why would you stay right? what what keeps you here? what What parts of this job do you really like? What makes you get up in the morning? I think you said that mm-hmm. earlier, get up in the morning and be excited about doing this work so that you can understand what's really making them interested in the job and interested in being there. maybe, maybe then beyond that, I would ask what's missing? you know what 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 would you prefer or is in the way of you doing? the things mm-hmm. that you really feel you can contribute. What do you think your strengths are? So really having that conversation with the employee to get at, you know, what's exciting and where would they like to go? And sometimes there's simple things to do with, you know, even giving them an extra a task or letting them have some time to investigate some new options. Mm-hmm. There's even things uh, going on like offering employees a chance to maybe visit another part of the organization for a week so it's really trying to access i think what you and chris have said too about what's meaningful Mm -hmm. and i I have a
0: close friend uh she had this conversation with her boss and, and she was like the person i report to don't really have a good relationship with them if i could report to you know cindy instead of peter that would be huge right they're like okay done uh or it could be you know i these this one thing I have to do every week, that's kind of a waste of my time. It doesn't fall into what my strengths are. Could I take that piece of my job and give it to somebody else? Sure. Right? Because <laughs> they wanted her to stay. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Or it could be like, you know, my desk is here. Could I sit over there next to that group? Because that would just be more efficient. Because I, ha-
2: I mean, it doesn't have to be about I want more money. Right? No, absolutely not. And I think, again... What we know about compensation, what we know about these extrinsic rewards, salary, bonuses, is that they they contribute really to uh, that baseline, that, that they can be about making us feel dissatisfied if we don't feel like we're paid fairly. But once we feel like we're paid fairly, it really isn't the thing that makes you come to work and dedicate your effort. Mm-hmm. Again, that comes down to, is the work itself something that really compels you? Uh, Is it letting you do things that you feel like you're effective at? So those are the things we need to really be considering. And and as you just said, there's a lot of opportunities where there's small barriers to take down for an employee Mm -hmm. that can make coming to work and getting their work done much more enjoyable.
1: And Chris? And I also think, you know, maybe an illustration of this, curious what Mary thinks, but an illustration of this is this conversation that's going on about remote work. Because, you know, about being an adult, being treated like an adult, having some autonomy. And you have managers really want workers back in the workplace. But it kind of comes down to why. I mean, why is it just because you want to see – To look at me? To look at me (laughs) and see people here. And, you know, I have to be here – Two or three days a week because there's some meetings and there's some people that I do actually need to uh, uh, have conversations with. But the other times I'm going to be much more efficient at home. Treat me like an adult. And I think we're seeing a actually really interesting case of what we're talking about where treat me like an adult. Trust me. And trust me mm-hmm. or I go elsewhere.
0: Let's take some phone calls. Uh, Again, we're talking about worker retention. Uh, What makes you want to stay rather than leave your job? And if you're a manager, what are you doing to keep your best people? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's talk about work. Uh, In La Crosse, Wisconsin, Adam's on the phone. Hey, Adam, what did you want to share with us?
3: Uh, Good morning, everybody. Um, I I, I was compelled to call when I heard the comment about um, stay interviews and you know, my thought was, if a leader is, is to that point, you're 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 doing it all wrong. You're missing the the initial opportunity. I'm a leader in healthcare, and I think I completely concur with the consistency of the one-on-one, the need for one-on-one. Personally, what I do with my team, offer those consistent one-on-ones, but turn those into more. What do you need, and what do you need both professionally and personally to do your best work? Um, I'll, I'll pause there and, and listen for your comments. Thank you.
0: Hmm. Uh, so consistent one-on-ones. He works in healthcare, and you know, also you know, culture within the organization. What are you hearing? What Adam um, called in about Mary? So, I'm sorry. <laughs> see,
2: Adam, I think great insights, and I think what you're recognizing or offering is is what we would really want managers to be doing. It shouldn't be one one time a year or one time as a big deal because you're worried someone's about to go. So we should get there. We should be thinking about those regular check-ins. And I think your points as well are parts of what you might do in that type of a stay interview is, what do you need, right? Helping me help you be excited about being here. And so it's not necessarily just all about preventing immediate turnover. It's that ongoing conversation. So I think you're already a step or two beyond what Mm -hmm. we want some people to even start doing. Ongoing conversations.
1: And I think what Adam also hit upon, and this I think a lot of employees do feel, this is anecdotal, but in conversations, um, there's the performance review. Everyone goes through, you know, so many... (laughs) Exactly. You go through the performance (laughs) review, and it takes up all this time, and then you sit down and you have your performance Mm -hmm. meeting. Right? Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, crickets after that and i think many employees have a certain cynicism when we're having this conversation about stay interviews and one-on-one conversations and ongoing conversations and they're going yeah i have my conversation once a year and then so what Mm.
0: let's take another phone call in golden valley leslie's on the line good morning leslie what do you want to tell us uh, as about worker retention as we talk about it
4: hi um i've been um I've been a a physician in the healthcare industry for um, my entire career. I'm at the end of my career now. And I think um, as I look at myself and at um, others in this industry, people in healthcare are not in it to just punch a clock. They're in it to take care of people, nurses, doctors, um, nurse practitioners. And... They want to make a difference and most of the time when I see people leaving, it's often because of their, their relationship with their boss and, um, not feeling like they're being heard. Uh, so I, I want to just put that out there as a major reason, um, to really help encourage the conversation to get leaders more skilled. And then the second point I want to make is that, um, if there's not a cons- i don't see much of a concept in leadership about helping workers work to their best capacity at different phases in their career, so a young newbie nurse doctor provider is a really different person in terms of experience wisdom and what they can give back to the community than somebody that is in their second or third decade of Providing their service, and but healthcare jobs don't reflect that often. It's often uh, sort of a one size fits all. You either are the RN position, or you're the MD position, or the DO position. And there's not um, a realization that people get older. Maybe they can't work mm-hmm. the taxing hours. And there needs to be more different types of jobs and opportunities for those people to continue to contribute.
0: All right. That's Leslie in Golden Valley. So clearly, this relationship between uh, folks, the managers that they report directly to, uh, there's an opportunity for growth there. (laughs) We're hearing from a lot of people. But is there some risk to being open and really telling your boss if they ask you, like, what would it take uh, to make you stay, I, I asked this because uh, on Twitter, Rod writes this. Um, Angela, state interviews are sometimes reconnaissance on employees' intentions—a level of transparency that most companies do not reciprocate when they announce layoffs under considerations for months. So, am I at risk here? If I, if I'm really honest with you, Chris.
1: Well, yes, and some to some extent. This is why the 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 experience that we're having with being in a situation where employers are looking for workers. So that gives a certain freedom. Your downside is limited. I think one of the reasons, if you go back to, you know, to, 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 uh, 2009, 2010, 2011, you know, fewer people were looking elsewhere because the jobs weren't available. If you had this frank and open conversation, someone just might say, well, if you think you, think you can do better elsewhere, okay, that's fine. Bye. Now – I think there are very, very few employers that are saying, if you think you can do better elsewhere, goodbye. There is there is more of this conversation. So the, so the labor market really matters. Mm.
0: Mary, anything you'd add to that?
2: Yeah, I think you know Leslie has a, a good point, and as does Chris here, we can't just put these in and just expect as a cookie cutter they're going to suddenly magically make all the problems go away. We can't make our organization something they're not. And so if we don't have a basis of trust – if we don't have a basis of transparency we're not we're not going to really get much further with this. You just, you know, a one plug-in isn't going to do it. And you know, I think Leslie's point is also good that part of this is a bigger system picture about how organizations think about employment and how employees might want different things across their lifespan across their career span and can we find ways to be more creative about that? I think older workers left the the workforce at high percentages during the pandemic. And I know there are some now coming back in. But I think organizations need to think about how can they manage that with maybe some flexible ways to really access that experience and human capital they provide. Right now, let's take a phone call in St. Paul, where Jessica
0: is on the line. Good morning, Jessica. Thank you for waiting. Good
5: morning. Hi, what's your story? Yeah, so I am currently a community organizer um, for the district council system in St. Paul. And I um, recently applied for another job. And as I was going through the process, I quickly realized some of the things that I took for granted at my current job. Um, I think especially being a, a person of color, I realized like how much support and advocacy was happening um, in my current position that even through the application process for this new job, um, I just wasn't feeling. And so even though it would have been, you know, definitely a better pay grade and all of these different benefits, including health insurance, things like that, I ended up not taking the job um, realizing mm-hmm. that the support and um, just relationships and really feeling um strong and capable and supported in my current job was so important to me. Um, I did end up having um, to ask for a pay increase at the kind of a livable wage at this new position, Um, you know, some health insurance, stipends, things like that to be able to make it work for my family. Um, But I was honestly surprised myself um, how much uh, the support that happens at my current position was amazing and loving my bosses at my current position was a major factor in staying
0: wow so uh it's that sense of community sounds like you're talking about that you in this you know applying for a new job you realize you know what that where I am is actually better than I thought. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah.
5: Yeah. And I heard you talking about purpose before. And it's like, I know that I am serving my community. I'm doing, you know, in the ways that I am very good at serving my community. I'm appreciated in my job and listened to and heard and and feel like I have a voice. And, you know, even through them granting the pay raise, which doesn't always happen in nonprofit organizations, really just showed how much they supported me and the role, and and appreciated the role I was doing.
0: So now you feel valued more so than yeah. before. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Jessica. That's a a beautiful story. A, a sense of community also important. Um, uh, Mary, you know, feeling like your coworkers are your friends, and you know, your place at work, like you're needed. The work you're doing is important. Um, that has value. It
2: it absolutely does, and it's we know that there are these kind of famous questions on engagement surveys about, do you have a best friend at work? And people kind of snicker about that. But in reality, it's a very predictive item in terms of people staying in organizations. So feeling that connectedness. And what Jessica said, too, I think we have to be putting things right back on inclusiveness in our organizations. And that starts at that point of recruiting And how do we bring people into our organizations and show them that this is a place that if you are a person of color, if you are a person maybe of a different generation, you know, how are we going to feel valued here? And it was quite powerful to see that even early on in the recruiting process that she sensed that. So our organizations need to keep our eye on this and make make sure we're continuing to make increases in, in inclusiveness in, in the organization. I think, finally, that sense of community or culture is really a big deal. And it's a big challenge with the remote workplace because sitting in front of a computer, sitting in right. front of a screen, you know, I, I like to tell process. my students, like, mm-hmm. what just switch the company. It's just the same monitor on my desk. What's wow. different?
1: right, right. That's- I also think a lot of employees should do exactly what Jessica did, which is one way of looking at that is, yes, you know, your boss your manager should talk to you about you know the this day interview but you should also have that interview with yourself she went out and applied for another job and she learned by applying for another job why she wanted to stay, but she needed more money and she needed better benefits. So it kind of clarified her situation for her Mm -hmm. and what she needed. And so she has a stronger feeling, I think, about her job right now, but she also got what she needed. And part of this process of thinking about alternatives is, well, how can I make this work better? Mm -hmm. And um,
0: I hope it's okay for me to say this, Chris, but you've been a journalist for a long time, uh, as evidenced by your gray hair yeah white. <laughs>
6: it's white Your actually white <laughs> <laughs>
0: um i'm guessing you probably could have retired a while ago but you you still come in and you're like yes. doing up 200 percent every day what's up with that
1: because it's the things that you were talking about earlier it's about purpose it's about meaning it's about good colleagues um Thank and you. i like what i do yes <laughs> you're welcome and it's true and i like what i do and i like Talking to people about their lives and, uh, you're also you know, a interviewing mentor. and you're a you mentor know. to a lot of people. Yes. And I like that. So it's just, uh, you know, it makes me feel part of a community. It makes me feel connected to people.
0: Right. And uh, mentorship. I mean, I think on some of my darkest days, what brings me joy is uh, being around and working with other journalists, younger journalists who are, you know, making strides yeah. in their career, that that's very satisfying.
1: Well, that was one of the interesting when Leslie called and she was talking about you know, some of the experienced workers not feeling valued. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that many organizations can do is turn to their experienced workers and say, hey, you know what? Your knowledge is actually really valuable. We'd love it if you would mentor, and you're going to reward people for mentoring. You're going to you're going to support them, but mentoring can be and can be a very healthy development in an organization. All
0: right, let's take another phone call in Minneapolis. Brandon is on the line. Hi, Brandon. What did you want to share with us?
1: Hey, Angela. Thanks so much for taking my
3: call. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a couple of things that I wanted to touch base on. I know that you were talking about how community and purpose is really important in the workforce. Um, but, well, long story short, I worked as a funeral director and a tissue procurement specialist, and it was a job that was mm. very rewarding. I know I made a difference every single day with every donation that we made happen or every family that I service for funerals. Mm-hmm. However, you're looking at the type of job that is overworked. I mean, you're getting a bachelor's degree to work nights, weekends, holidays, and many firms don't offer 401ks or health insurance because they're small. Uh, Coming back to my question, I've noticed and I've seen this a lot too with people online is that the best way to get a raise is to leave your current job and go someplace else. Um, When I was younger working as a funeral director, I moved around quite a lot because again, I wasn't really able to make ends meet with the amount of money I was making. Mm -hmm. And so asking for a raise of even something as simple as 2% would often go as rejected. But I was able to transition to another funeral home and get pretty much the exact same thing, but a raise of 20 Mm -hmm. Um, percent. My wife is is another example. She had an employee that was working under her that wanted a 12 percent raise because of additional training that they did. Uh, Basically, level one to level two or level two to level three uh, situation and upper management just wouldn't cover it. And they ended up leaving, finding another job, and had a forty percent increase in pay. Wow! With all the additional, with all the additional benefits that they had at their first company, right? And and so you, you you're just, saying a lot of
0: people may be leaving just because that's the only way they can get a big enough raise or to get a higher salary that's really
3: going to make a difference. Yes, because mm-hmm. a lot of companies will put out a hiring bonus or. Right. You know, oh, doesn't that make you mad when a, you see that? I'm like, ah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just I started
4: working here. Good for oh, them. Now you're hiring people and yeah. getting $1,000. <laughs> <Right. laughs> All Right.
0: right. That's Brandon in Minneapolis. Uh, let's take another phone call in Minneapolis. Also, this is Michael. Michael, what do you want to tell us about worker retention and, and why people leave and stay?
6: Hey, Angela. I have uh, been on both sides where I've worked at a place and wasn't getting paid a whole lot of money or wasn't getting paid where um, my position was required, but the supervisor that I worked under took a lot of care and effort in developing me. And that's why I stayed. And mm-hmm. then when he left, you know, that's when I decided to look for other work, which landed me at my next job that I totally regretted because the supervisor and management would never give any feedback on uh, what can you do to become better.
0: hmm. Yeah. Jumping to a new job can be risky because you don't necessarily know the personalities of the people you're going to be working closely with.
6: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always tell people when they think about looking for other work. I'm like, you know, you may be going off looking for another job or maybe a dollar more an hour, but that culture could be more toxic, toxic than the one right. that you're leaving
0: Right. It, it's tricky. Thank you. That's uh, Michael in Minneapolis. Um, I wanted to make sure we address burnout. A lot of what is forcing a lot of people to leave, just burnout. They're just tired. It's been too much. It's just been too hard. They're tired. So what can an employer do about that? Like, how do you address burnout? What What have you seen that works, Chris?
1: Well, I think there's, there's a couple things. One is listening and actually hearing that an employee is burned out, having the conversations with the employee, what would you need? And Marriott earlier mentioned the importance of flexibility. And actually really creating a flexible schedule. Now, it could be that the situation is the person eventually just has to leave. They mm-hmm. need to get away from the workforce. They just need to get out of the stress. But I think if, the, if leadership is listening and really ask, what is it that you need? But in the end, most of the time, it's about flexibility. And flexibility is one of those terms. Everybody loves it. But it actually, operationally, in a lot of companies, it's very hard to do. So it takes a real effort on management's part.
0: And Mary, as as you're teaching uh, classes there uh, at the Carlson School uh, about you know management of teams, what can you do about burnout? I mean, to some degree, you know, there are some parts of the job that bosses their hands may just be tied.
2: Yeah, I think Chris made some good points there, that there might be points where this isn't possible. People just need a break. But if we can think about offloading, some work, letting people have a bit of a, you know, a little bit of a respite on some tasks, just reducing the amount of work. I think that would right. be helpful.
0: So we're going to take a pause. What you were doing five days a week, let's just do that four days yeah, a week. Right, or, that, that could be huge.
2: Yeah. Or is there a way to right find some tasks that are just kind of overwhelming you and not really making you excited about work? Mm-hmm. Can you help with that? Is there a little bit of opportunity to just take time to work on something that's interesting for you to develop. That might refresh you. Again, it might be difficult if you really have experienced sort of deep stress emotionally or physically to overcome uh, overcome burnout. Uh, and Egan, let's take
0: a phone call from Pina. Good morning, Pina. What do you want to share with us about worker retention and, and why people stay at their jobs or choose to leave?
7: Thank you for taking my call. Yes, I'm a small business owner. And I know this day and it's just really hard for small businesses to pay as much as big companies. So what I've done is kind of in, engage my employees to like help be part of ownership of the business. So I let them make the big big decisions on how the business should go and they have a really good sense of uh, ownership versus me being able to pay the big money that, you know, bigger companies can. And they stay with me cuz they feel like they're part of my decision making.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, uh, tell us more about. So, you're a small business owner. So, are you having th- these uh, conversations regularly with your workers?
7: Yeah, you know, like the bigger decisions. Oh, I think sell. When should we sell it? Mm-hmm. I let them decide because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, these are the folks that have to do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm very transparent on where we are financially, so nothing's a secret in my business, and so any decisions we make you know, whether spending a lot of money or not spending money, they're part of that decision. Um, it's not just, Oh, she's the big owner and she gets to decide everything. I right. have them be part of that.
0: They feel valued, which is yeah. important. All right. Let's uh, before we uh, run out of time, let's take one more phone call in St. Paul. We've got Elizabeth on the line. Elizabeth, what do you want to tell us? Elizabeth? Hello. Yeah, go ahead.
8: Um, I'm, I'm, I uh, just wanted to follow up on a comment made by an earlier caller who said she worked in healthcare, I also work in healthcare. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a nurse at a local hospital, uh, not one of the hospitals involved in the strike, uh, potential strike situation. But the bigger point um, that I'd like to make has to do with um, the necessity of trust between uh, an employer and employees. it's, it's, uh, this has been mentioned. I mean, Chris talked about this and your other guest. Um, but like, if my, anybody at my employer were to ask me, what would I, what would, what would make me stay? Or what do I benefit, what would, I, what do I appreciate that would keep me there? I would be very suspicious and would probably not answer them. Uh, truthfully, if there's lack of I trust, I would expect mm-hmm. that they would take away mm-hmm. whatever I told them keeps me there.
0: All right, so trust. So uh, as our final point, uh, this almost sounds like a romantic relationship here. Okay, <laughs> if we, we got to trust each other, we got to check in. I mean, it's sort of the same, isn't? It?
1: Don't 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 you think that's ki- that? You're absolutely right. you hit on the theme of this whole hour, okay. which is about communication. It's about trust. It's about checking in, and it's about taking actions that support the words that you're using. Hmm.
0: And
2: uh, Mary, a final thought, anything encouraging to, to add to this? Uh, we could change this, right? <laughs> I, I do think we can change it. I think one of the challenges that Elizabeth pointed out, right, is that there's historically, there's a is there a power imbalance between organizations, bosses, and employees And that's not going to change overnight if we have situations where people don't feel like they are safe to raise the things Mm -hmm. that they are concerned about. So that's not going to be a quick fix. We can't just slap something in here and make, make change happen.
0: But we can start scheduling time to look each other in the eye and talk. Absolutely. with each other. All right. Well, our time is up. I want to thank our listeners for sharing their stories and thank our guests. We've been talking with Mary Zelmer Brune there at the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Management uh, in the Work and Organizations Department. And oh, more music now. Chris Farrell is also with us, NPR's Senior Economics Contributor. This conversation was produced by Samantha Matsumoto. We'll talk to you again tomorrow morning at 9.